Thank you for joining us for the lessons from First Naz Podcast. When Alyssa and I moved to Ecuador to be missionaries, we realized that people in different parts of the world do things differently, right? But there's some things that just don't change regardless of where you are. And that is, some of those things that don't change regardless of where you are is that sometimes government processes seem arbitrary. Uh, we, uh, we were in... We were in Ecuador for a number of years. We had to re reapply for visas. The process of applying for a visa in another country is so mind-boggling. Like, it is, it is a, thank you, ladies. It is a mystery. Like, the Lord can understand everything. I don't know if the Lord understands all of the processes for applying for visas in other countries. Like, this is, as an example... I, I had a driver's license. I had a driver's license, a valid working driver's license in the country of Ecuador. It's a national driver's license. It's a beautiful thing. I had a great picture on it. I liked it. It was great. And I renewed my visa, and my driver's license was no longer valid. It expired when my old visa expired. So that's you get it, right? Like, you shouldn't be driving anyway. And so... I had to renew my driver's license. And you would think, you would think, like, you've been to the DMV here, right? Like, I still, because of my experience having lived in a different country, when I go to the DMV here in, in Lewiston, in Nez Perce County, I take everything I think I might need, including my birth certificate and, like, my parents' birth certificates and... I take everything I think I might need and I have it copied three times in color because I just, that's my expectation at this point. So it took me, I, I had to renew my driver's license. I made, I think, five separate trips to the Ecuadorian version of the DMV because that's just the way it is, you know? You just, you just don't get it always. Now, some of these processes, like, you understand why you don't understand. Like, I had, I understand, like, okay, my visa number has changed, and for some reason that means my record no longer exists in the DMV system. Like, you kind of get that, but some processes in, in the world just seem a little unnecessarily bureaucratic and, and hard, to, hard to navigate. Like, I have graduated a few times at this point in my life from different academic institutions, and graduation is like a mysterious process for some places. And then you combine that with being in a different country. So I, was, I worked for our Nazarene Seminary in Ecuador for the majority of the time that we lived there. And I, the process for applying for graduation was just sort of... I never got it. Like, I would have never been able to graduate. It would have never happened if I had to try to figure out how to graduate there. People in Ecuador, they understand some of the hoops, but it was still very difficult for many of our Ecuadorian students to navigate through. In fact, I am aware of students who had to wait an extra year because they didn't file the right form with the seminary on the right time and that always struck me as just like a little strange that here we are like a fairly Christian institution here, like a seminary, uh, and, and our, 
we would have students who had done everything they needed to do to graduate except for fill out the right forms. Because like, and, and that just happens in life sometimes, right? Like you get all of the requirements. These people had learned everything we wanted them to learn. They knew all, they had all of the knowledge, but they couldn't experience the thing they really wanted was that piece of paper after they walked across the stage and, and shook the rector's hand, right? So they had all the knowledge, but they hadn't experienced, they hadn't, they didn't have in their hands that one, that one thing that they really needed from the whole process, in spite of having all of the all of the knowledge. Well, that kind of kind of makes me think about what we're doing here on these Sunday mornings in, in January and February. I've been trying to ask all the right questions, and I've been asking some some questions that I hope they're pertinent questions. Uh, they're questions that kind of meet us up here, right? They're kind of questions that, that make, us, make us think a little bit. I've been asking questions like, does God exist? I, I asked, does God love me? I asked, is there one way that God wants me to live in order to please God? I, I asked, uh, even if, is it reasonable to believe in a God who, or, or why does, does our God allow bad things to, to happen, our good God? And, and so this week, in, in many ways, all of the weeks have been pointing to the question I'm asking today, and I, I don't know if I'm answering the question well today, but the question that I'm asking today is, who is Jesus? I've said several times through this sermon series that any honest spiritual seeker needs to deal with the historic person of Jesus and I really believe that. I, I really believe that if we're going to understand anything about spiritual life, I, I think if we're going to claim to have spiritual life, anybody on earth needs to deal with the, the historic person of Jesus. Who, who was this Jesus who lived like 2,000 years ago, who made all of these claims about who he is, who his followers say that he died and rose again, I think any, any person on the planet Earth has to deal with, with who is Jesus. And, and I believe that because I believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And, and I talked a little bit about that. I've talked quite a bit about that, maybe actually over the last few, few weeks. Um, because Jesus raising from the dead is the thing that, that helps us know if Jesus rose from the dead... We know that Jesus taught truth, like because Jesus taught that he was going to die and raise from the dead. And so if he rose from the dead, that's like, that's like a stamp on his teaching. That allows us to know that what Jesus taught was true. Because he, if you can say, like, you, you know, you can say all kinds of things. Like, I could say, I'm going to turn into a pumpkin next week, right? I could say that, but if I didn't actually turn into a pumpkin next week, I'd, I would just look a little silly, right? <laughs> you would probably want to dismiss a little bit more of what I said if I said I'm going to turn into a pumpkin and then didn't turn into a pumpkin, right? Now, that's kind of a silly example, but Jesus made this incredibly like, grandiose claim. This isn't the kind of thing that you can say and then not back up. 
Jesus made the claim that he was going to die and raise again from, from the dead. And so Jesus raising again from the dead is a stamp of approval on who Jesus said he was. Now, before I get into what Jesus said about himself, I want to talk the majority of my time this morning about what Jesus said about himself. But I have a little, like, I have, I have a soapbox I want to get on. Because I, I have, in my mind, I have this, this person that I'm talking to that disagrees with, with Jesus making these claims or with Jesus raising from the dead. And, and I, I think one of the ways that people make the claim that Jesus isn't, isn't worthy of worship, one of the ways that people dismiss what I believe about Jesus and what, what I'm going to tell you about Jesus today, one of the ways people dismiss that is by saying that Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus was a good teacher, uh, and he died. And then his followers made up a bunch of stuff about Jesus after he died. And, and so people will, will say the changes to Jesus' message happened at different periods in history. And I'm just going to say, um, Scripture doesn't allow us to, to claim that those changes happened like in the, in the second and third and fourth century. Um, though the, the record of what Jesus said is written down for us during the first century. And people will say, like, it happened late in the first century. It happened a lot of years after Jesus died. But anybody who would say that, that after the Bible was written, after the Gospels were written, then, then Christian people went back and edited these stories about Jesus to put in all this stuff about Jesus predicting his death and raising again from the dead. That, that is a position that takes, like, no time to understand the history of the text of the Bible. It, it is, like, utterly dismissible. Um, and, and so I'm not even, other than just saying it's utterly dismissible, if you, if you want to talk about that, I'm glad to talk about, like, the transmission of Scripture from the original documents to what we have today. I just think it put you to sleep this morning. And so if you want to talk about that with me sometime, I'll, I'll put you to sleep just one-on-one, -on -one and um, you'll, you'll get a real good nap out of the deal. I believe that the stories about Jesus that are recorded in Scripture were recorded in the first century, early, early uh, in the years after Jesus. In fact, I would argue there's this really important historical event that happened in the first century in the year 70 uh, AD. In the year 70 AD, the Temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. None of the books of the Bible mention that. And it's like a big deal historically especially for the Jews and all of the writers of Scripture were Jewish people. Um, none of them mention it. And it's very possible that you can write, like you can write a book now about somebody who lived in the, in the 90s without including 9-11 in the story, right? Like you could do that. Um, it's very possible that people wrote after the destruction of the temple about Jesus and just didn't ever mention the destruction of the temple. Very possible. But when Jesus talks about, like, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it again in three days, you would think that the gospel writers would say, by the way, we know that he wasn't talking about the temple because the temple's already been destroyed in Jerusalem. Like, sorry, this is super nerdy <laughs> rabbit trail. Let's get back on track a little bit. I, to, so all that to say, 
we, we kind of have to believe that the followers of Jesus, at least at the time of writing the, the New Testament, believed that Jesus had taught these things and believed that Jesus had died and risen again from the dead. Like, the, the Gospels are written by followers of Jesus, people who knew Jesus personally. And so we have to believe that they personally believed this. But if you want to say that these are stories that were invented between Jesus' death and when the stories were written early in the first century, or in the first century sometime, uh, that they were invented, here's what you have to do. You, this is option, option A if you want to try to dismiss Jesus and dismiss the Bible. What you, option A um, says that in, when, when Jesus died, the disciples were really upset. They were mourning. They were, they were still gathering together. And, and they had some experience that reminded them of Jesus. They had some experience that reminded them of Jesus. And, and so in the 50 days after Jesus' death, they start kind of retelling the stories of Jesus, and they start kind of inputting little bits that, that like, maybe Jesus had been teaching us that he was going to raise from the dead, and maybe Jesus is, like, here present with us, and we're experiencing Jesus in some spiritual way, and Maybe Jesus didn't really die. Maybe he is, he is alive and, and with us. And, and so they, they start kind of putting together these stories. And history kind of shows us that within 50 days, they're gathered together. They're having the, these memories. They're adding to them. And in 50 days, they can't control it anymore. There's a riot in Jerusalem. And these stories start to spread. And they get out into the city of Jerusalem. They tell the story 50 days after Jesus' death, and, death and, and there are all kinds of people in Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire, they take the story out, and all of a sudden, the disciples of Jesus, who had been kind of re-remembering the, the experience of Jesus and inputting all of these, these bits about Jesus, you know, going to die and raise again from the dead, and actually raising from the dead, these stories create a movement. And the Suddenly, within 50 days of Jesus' death, there are thousands of people believing these stories. And these stories have to be repeated, and they get repeated throughout the Roman Empire. And people begin traveling to, to talk about these, these stories. And, and the stories just about lose control of themselves. They just spread so quickly. And, and we can kind of, like, from, from 21st century perspective, we... We kind of think, well, yeah, maybe, like, these were people who, who believed that the gods were precocious and, and interacted with, with society. Like, maybe what they added to Jesus was just sort of like a Jewish response to the Greek mythology of the day. But let me, let me go one step further. If you want to believe this, if you, if you want to accept that as, a, as your position, you have to deal with the motives of the disciples. Because when the disciples followed Jesus initially. The Gospels record it. We kind of know historically the people, Jewish people, during Jesus's ministry were looking for a Messiah who would be a king, who would gather an army, fight, fight uh, the Roman Empire, and establish a, a Jewish nation that would be sovereign. And so when Jesus went to Jerusalem and died on the cross, it looked a lot like a failed coup. 
it looked a lot like a, a Messiah who had like been kind of amassing a little bit of a, a following, and, and suddenly they killed him, and so, well, I guess we had the wrong guy. The Messiah was supposed to be divinely appointed, and so, you know, obviously he's not divinely appointed if he dies. So the followers of Jesus who had been following him since early days in, in his ministry in, in Galilee, they had, they had followed Jesus because they thought that he was going to be this kingly Messiah. They thought that they were going to be the governors and advisors and generals to Jesus when, when he established a kingdom. If Jesus didn't teach all that stuff about dying and raising again, um, if, if Jesus didn't didn't point people to the reality, and, it, and if Jesus didn't raise again from the dead, you have, to, you have to do the mental gymnastics to make yourself think that these people went, in the, in the space of 50 days, from hoping for a life of prestige and power, of being high ups in a, in a government, to choosing to kind of be nobodies in the world of power and prestige choosing to be on the outside of any system of authority that the world knows. They chose to, to be poor for the rest of their lives because, because what they taught about Jesus made them have to give away everything they had. Then you have to deal with the, the reality that, that the rest of them, that... that you know, Judas, he, he chose death instead of, of Jesus in the aftermath of Jesus' death. But the rest of them, the, the 11 that are left, they went to their graves preaching Jesus. None of the 11 recanted. None of the 11 said, no, we just made this up. None of the 11 said that Jesus wasn't the Messiah not one of them personally chose to stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. So that's one option to believe that they just kind of made it up in the 50 days after Jesus' death. The other option then would be to believe the record of the Bible. To me, the, like, the way I trust in the text of the Bible, like it's really reliable, like it's, we can have real certainty that what we have now is really close to what was originally written. Um, the, the way I understand history and people's motives about seeking power and prestige, like, if Peter really wanted to just be, like, number two in somebody's kingdom, I think after Jesus died, he would have gone looking for the next, the next one. I think Peter was really convinced. To me, it's, it's just a lot easier to believe in the, in the record of Scripture. It's, it's a lot easier for me, me to believe that these guys were willing to die because they had seen Jesus die and, and rise again from the dead. And a big reason I think that the the disciples were convinced by, by Jesus was the authority that Jesus used when he spoke. Like, in the Gospels, we, we read about Jesus, the, the crowd saying, 
they like Jesus' teaching because he preaches with authority, not like the religious teachers that they know. And Jesus speaks with authority about who he is throughout the Gospels. And in the Gospel of John, there's like these important moments where Jesus speaks about his own identity. He, we, we call them the I am statements because they all start with Jesus saying, I am, and then kind of fill in the blank. And, and so I'll give you a quick rundown of them. It, they start in John 6, 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 7, Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. And then just down the page in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, in John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. These are all important moments of Jesus making claims about who he is. Jesus telling people, this is how, how you should understand who I am. This morning, I want to look at one more I am statement that doesn't make the list of the typical seven I am statements because it's just a little different and weird. And I wanted, wanted to go to John chapter 8. This I am statement, it, it happens, uh, it's, it's a long story. John, John chapter 8, it begins with the, the woman caught in the act of adultery. And then in, in verse 12, Jesus begins to teach and really, there's kind of just like a long section of Jesus teaching and having dialogue with the people around him. He's in the temple teaching during this. And, and mostly, Jesus is having a conversation with some Pharisees. And Pharisees are people who wanted to apply a really strict understanding of the Old Testament law to everybody around them. They applied it to themselves, too, but they were really, like, they knew they weren't sinners, so they really wanted to make sure you weren't a sinner, too. And so they were really intent on trying to make other people follow the, the Old Testament law really well. And so this, it's just sort of this wandering conversation that Jesus is having with these, these teachers of the Old Testament law. And they're talking about the identity of God's people is a big part of it. And as Jesus is teaching, uh, there are disciples there who are listening to, like people who really believe what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus has some moments where, where he talks uh, to the, the people that, that listen, are, are like there to listen to him because they believe it. And then he has moments where he's talking to the people who are there to listen to him so they can know what to disagree with. And so Jesus kind of just doing every side here. He says in this, I, I already mentioned in, in John chapter 8, we get one of the, the I am statements, which Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And, and then he tells the Pharisees that he is validated by the testimony of his father. And, and the Pharisees uh, think that he's talking about like his, his earthly father, you know, like because how else would you understand that? Jesus is obviously talking about his heavenly father. And then Jesus has some accusations, like he, he has some pretty pointed words for for the disciple or for the Pharisees in this, and the people who refuse to believe him, uh, Jesus goes from uh, talking about just how they refuse to believe him, which we understand refusing to believe Jesus is is sin. Um, like you, you have to believe Jesus to be on right terms with God, so like that's condemnation. 
right there. But then they, they belong to this world. Jesus says, you belong to this world, like you don't belong to heaven. Uh, you belong to this world. And as Jesus is having this conversation, uh, some of the people listening in the temple, they, they believe a little bit more, like some people are converted to, to believing in Jesus. And Jesus tells people who believe in him that they, they have to be faithful to his teaching. And in John 8, 32, we read, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, like, you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Later on, Jesus is going to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like, knowing Jesus sets us free. Knowing the truth that Jesus is speaking sets us free. And, and so, we tend to focus on truth in this because we love information and we love knowledge and truth. You know, like our, our little saying, knowledge is power. We, we really like to focus on what Jesus says about truth here we miss what Jesus was talking about to the Pharisees because the Pharisees, they don't care really about what Jesus has to say about truth. They want to talk about freedom. These, this is a group of people who they're a little bit insecure about being free because they're actually occupied by the Roman Empire. And if they were really the faithful people of God, that wouldn't happen according to how they interpret the Old Testament. And so they're a little, you know, they're a little insecure about their level of freedom in this, and, and they, uh, they make this claim about their identity that we are the children of Abraham. They're going to make this claim that they're the children of Abraham four times through the course of, of this conversation. We are the children of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anybody. Now, that's a little bit of a hyperbole because the children of Abraham, like, were slaves for 400 years after Abraham, and so we'll, I'm not here to pit, uh, to pick nits with anybody, but that's a little bit hyperbole. So Jesus tells them that they're actually slaves to sin, and the conversation, it just like starts devolving. Like the accusations are flying back and forth fast and heavy. Uh, the Pharisees, they say that Jesus is a Samaritan devil. Jesus says that the, these people are children of their father who is the devil, um, it's just like it's devolving rapidly. This is not this is not how a good leader wants a conversation to go. There's some things. Uh, there may be some accusations that Jesus is possessed by a demon. Um, some things are said that just can't be unsaid in in a heated argument like this. And and Jesus does some of his predicting that he's going to die and raise again and and have eternal life. Um, I got on my soapbox about that a little bit already, so I'll move on. And then I want to dig in in earnest to the conversation that begins in, in verse 52. So I'm in John chapter 8, verse 52, and, and here's what, what we read. It begins with, the people said, Now we know that you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets died, but you say anyone who obeys my teaching will never die are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, If I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it is my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. If you know him, I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great a liar as you. But... I do know him and obey him. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Uh, 50 years old, by the way, it's noted there as like the end of working age. Like one commentator I, I read. So like, I kind of like that. Like that seems, that seems all right. But anyway, it's just like, a, it, it's not indicating that Jesus is even close to 50. He's just like, he's a person who should be part of the workforce. And so he's not old enough to be like respectable at this point. And he says he, he's seen Abraham. Sorry, that's a little aside. Verse 58, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So, you know what I'm, what I'm going to. I'm going to verse 58. Jesus says, even before Abraham was born. The Greek just says, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is, is clearly and intentionally using a description of God that, that identifies the God of the people of Israel, the God of the Jews, as, as distinct from and, and alone in, in being the one God of the nation of Israel, distinct from any other God. He is not a God. This is Jesus before Abraham was, I am. Abraham, or, sorry, uh, I am comes from the book of Exodus, this title for God. It's about 500 years after the time of Abraham. It's interesting we're having all this conversation about Abraham and, and Jesus goes to his story, refers to the way that God was known uh, from the book of Exodus after, after Abraham's time. In the book of Exodus, the third chapter, Moses is wandering the desert. Moses is wandering the desert, and he sees this bush off in the distance that's burning. It's on fire, but it's not being consumed, and that's strange. And so he goes and tries to take a peek at what's happening there. And as he approaches the, this bush in the desert that is burning, he has this crazy experience. We read about it in Exodus chapter, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, uh, he hears a voice coming out of the, the bush. It says, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. And this is remarkable. This is what the bush says. It's the voice that comes to Israel. Moses as he's standing by this bush that's burning, says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob tells Moses from, from here to get the children of Israel, get this, this nation of slaves that are, are stuck in, in Egypt, break them out of Egypt and take them to the promised land, the land that I'm going to show you, the land uh, where, where Abraham had settled originally. And Moses is like full of objections. 
you know, you, you think you hear like the voice of God speaking and most of us think we would just say like, okay, God, Moses has all kinds of objections. Moses has all kinds of reasons. He's not the person for the job, all, the, all kinds of reasons that the people aren't going to want to follow him. And, and he says like, they're not going to follow me. Like, who should I say is sending me? This is what, what Moses wants to know. Who, who should I say is sending me? And in Exodus 3.14, we read, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. This is like as close, close a thing as God can do to giving Moses his business card and saying like, take this and show it to them and they'll know to follow me. Like, the, the children of Israel were looking for the God who is the one God, the, the God who is creator, the God who, who called Abraham from, from his home, the God who they have been wanting to worship in Egypt. And, and so Moses takes, takes this business card and, and he goes and, and finds the children of Israel. God says, they'll believe you if you just say, I am his saint. When, when Jesus responds to the Pharisees and to the people in, in John chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is making a clear, a clear statement of his unity with God. That he is none other than the voice that boomed out of the bush to Moses 2,000 years before. This is, this is the same God in the flesh speaking to the people in the temple. Jesus is calling himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you notice, the people in in the temple with Jesus, in John chapter 8, they get it. They know exactly what Jesus has, has said. We know because they picked up stones to kill him. Because anybody who says, I am God, needs to be killed. And so they pick up stones to stone him. And then you just want to know, like, he was hidden, is all that the text says. You want to know, like, did, it, did somebody say, whoop, he just said too much, and like throw a coat over him and take him out? Or was it miraculous? Like, did, did he just like disappear and leave? Like, you want to know. The, the text is too vague. But, but Jesus is no longer in the temple. Jesus has to leave the building after he makes that statement because anybody who finds him that disagrees with him, they're going to string him up. He has just claimed to be God. And that's, that's what I got for you. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus said he's God. And I, I'm cherry-picking one of my favorite moments of Jesus claiming to be God, but there's a lot more, honestly. Like, I could have, I could have taken you to Matthew 9, another one of my favorite moments, when Jesus, he, uh, he sees a paralyzed person, and he says, hey, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And the teachers of the law around say, 
Only God can forgive sins. Thank you very much. Don't say that kind of thing. And Jesus says, oh, tell you what, just to show you that I have authority to forgive sins on earth, why don't you stand up and take up your mat? And the paralyzed man walks away carrying his mat. Or I could have taken you to, to uh, Mark chapter 1, when, when Jesus is baptized. Another one of my favorite stories, because all three people of the Trinity <clears throat> are present in the moment. Jesus comes out of the water, a dove descends, the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and God's voice booms out of heaven. This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Or, or I could have taken you to Luke chapter 2 when Jesus, as a boy, gets lost in the temple and his parents freak out trying to find him. And when they finally find him in Jerusalem, looking all over the city, they finally find him in the temple. He says, he's teaching the, the teachers of the religious law. And he says, what, didn't you, why wouldn't you have looked for me in my father's house? Duh. Or, or I could have taken you to the end of the Gospel of John, one of the best moments of Jesus being declared God and none other, when Thomas finally sees the risen Jesus. And Jesus says, put your hand right here, bro. Look at these. Look at my scars. And, and Thomas, dumbfounded, speaks out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's... He, he says, my Lord and my God... Jesus is God. Like, you, you can't read the Bible without, without understanding it, without, without at least knowing that the people who wrote it down believed it 100%. And I, I think the reason they believed it 100% is because they experienced Jesus. They walked with him. They, knew, they were writing the stories of their own experience. John talked with with Thomas over and over again about that day before he wrote the gospel. The, the man who was paralyzed, I believe that he was probably around the church. <laughs> At least the disciples remembered and told this story over and over again. Remember that time? Remember that time that Jesus said, your sins are forgiven? Didn't even like know the guy, right? He's just a paralyzed guy sitting on the side of the road. Jesus says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals him. I, I believe that these stories are here because, because the, the men who walked those roads with Jesus, they experienced it. They knew him. They knew him. And I, I think they, they thought it was worth recording the stories after the fact because Jesus actually rose from the dead and they they saw him after his crucifixion they ate meals with him after his crucifixion they heard him speak i i think we have all kinds of reason to believe that jesus is the jesus we read about in the bible and then uh and then the question kind of comes like that's who Jesus is. So what? So what? If Jesus really is God, like, that's good news, I suppose. That's interesting. It's an interesting tidbit. You know, it's one of those really satisfying little facts. Like, Jesus is God. 
So that's kind of just like a so what moment. So, and and uh, as I've thought about, like over the last six weeks, I've given you a lot of information. I've given you a lot of information. I I started this morning. I really was speaking just to your head first thing, like when I got on my soapbox about the, I really think that you got to trust the record of scripture because of, of the motivation of the disciples. Like that's, that was to try to convince you in your mind. Um, I've given you a lot of information and, and I'm really glad that the Lord has, I feel like the Lord's directed me to, to preach this series. I, I really, I'm, I'm glad about the information I've given you over these last six weeks. I'm really grateful for, for these questions. And honestly, I think that this sermon series has been a success if we're willing to continue asking hard questions. Like, the reason we do, I'm doing this now is to just kind of say, there aren't questions that are out of bounds in this place. We, we are a body that's committed to loving one another and asking the hard questions of each other. If you're struggling with other questions that I'm not answering, please, 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 let's have conversation about the things that are making you wonder about your faith and, and Jesus. It's important that we have these, these informational talks, right? <laughs> but more important than any information that I can give you about Jesus, who, who is God, this divine human person. Um, more pressing than anything I could, could say about why we believe that, that God exists. Like the why, why does it matter if, if Jesus is God? Why does it matter if Jesus exists? Let me tell you one reason it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as just information. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if these are just like facts we hold on and it turns out that we have better facts than other people. <laughs> it doesn't matter if, if like this is just like our little truth and, and we're really content with our little truth and, and isn't it nice that we know the truth? Doesn't it make you feel good to look down your nose at the other people who don't know the truth? Our, our Christian faith means very little indeed if it ends up just being information we carry around in our heads. Jesus didn't die on the cross to satisfy our desire for like neat mathematical proofs. The, the God who created us knows we like like that academic certainty. We like neat mathematical proofs. God created us to like that. But that's not the end of what God has done for us. Because all of this true information that we've talked about for the past month and a half is, is specifically about the transformation of individuals. Like this is, the, the, Christian, the Christian truth is transforming information. It's not, it's not just informing information. It is transforming information. Because, like, Jesus being God, it... If, it, if this is really God come to earth, it ought to change the way we, we live. It ought to change the way we feel about the earth. 
It ought to change the way we feel about other people. Because if it, it, it doesn't really, honestly, it doesn't really matter if Jesus was God and, and Jesus doesn't come and meet us today. But Jesus taught that he would send his spirit and, and he is available to us now. It wouldn't really matter, honestly, that Jesus was God if, if Jesus couldn't meet us today. It, didn't, it doesn't really matter if, if Jesus doesn't become a transforming power in our life. Like it, doesn't, it doesn't matter even if we believe that Jesus is God, if, if we still don't love our neighbors as ourselves. It doesn't matter if we know the truth about God, if we are still allowing this world to rob us of our hope and our peace. It doesn't matter that God loves us if we don't let God humble us and give us the attitude that is in Jesus. This isn't information that can stop in our brains. This is information that has to sink deep into our hearts and into our souls. It's, uh, it reminds me of being like a seminary student who has gotten all of the educational requirements done. You know, it's, it's really easy for that information to just stay up here. Uh, it's, it's really easy for us to have everything, everything in line in our minds and, and not let it sink into to who we are. Like the, the seminary students, that they just, they just forgot to fill out that one form. <laughs> they had all of the information, but they didn't have the piece of paper that would actually go let them move on in their careers. Um, sometimes we gather information and we're really satisfied with information, but if we don't let that information seep into who we are and seep into our hearts, it's really kind of pointless information, frankly. We're entering the season of Lent. On Wednesday, we're going to come together for, for an Ash Wednesday service. We're going to begin this season where we kind of focus on letting this transforming information seep into our hearts and our beings. We'll take time on Wednesday evening to repent of, of the times when we've allowed information to just stay as information and not transform us. We're going to spend, spend the season talking about how Jesus prepared his disciples to live on this earth without him. And so I'd invite you to, to continue to seek good information. Don't stop. Like it's, it is good to, to know what you believe and why. But don't stop at collecting information. Don't be content with information that doesn't bring about transformation. And then I really, really hope that what we do with this information is that it it drives us closer to Jesus. Like it makes us want to get closer to the person of Jesus and closer to the spirit, his spirit that works in us so that we could really experience his transformation in our hearts. And when, when we let Jesus like move in us and when we move toward Jesus, that's when we become more and more like Jesus. And so, 
You don't have to wait until Wednesday. <laughs> you, you can begin right now saying, Lord, you've given me good information. May it bring about some transformation in my heart and in my life. Why don't you stand with me and let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. Uh, we, we got a lot of information about Jesus. We have a lot of information about like why it's reasonable to believe that you exist. We have information about how you love us. We have information about like even why maybe bad things might happen in this world, even though you are a good and all-powerful God. We've got information about it, Lord. Don't let it stop at information, though. God, transform us by the power of your Spirit at work in us. This information, it's good news because it comes with your spirit that speaks to us. You continue to give us clarity about it as we press into your presence. You are faithful to meet us when we faithfully seek you. And so, God, I pray that you would, you would continue your transforming work in our midst. We are, we are people who, who want to hear your voice. We are people who, who want to know your desire for us. We are people who want to understand well why we should even believe any of it. And so, God, we're going to keep pressing in for information. We're going to keep asking you for answers. We're going to keep pestering you, God, and we're going to keep studying about you. You can't stop us, God. It's how you've created us. But Lord, what we really want, what would matter in this life, is if you would come and speak to our hearts. If you would give us hope when we are discouraged and frustrated, it would matter, God, if you would speak to us when, when relationships are falling apart around us, if you would speak to us and give us wisdom so that we could be people of reconciliation. It would matter, God, if when sickness strikes and disaster seems to be at our door, if you would make us people who are level-headed and wise, if you would give us the, the strength to carry on for each day, Lord, we, we know that you want to give us that kind of hope in this world. We know that you want to transform us to make us people who aren't fearful, people who, who walk in trust in you. You want to make us people who love others well, even when it costs us a lot. God, you want to do all of those things in us because of who you are. And so, Lord, help us press in and understand you better so that we can be transformed more and more to be like Jesus. We trust you for it. We open our hearts and our lives to the power of your spirit. We just ask you, Lord, come, Holy Spirit, descend on us, work in us, move in us. We're going to experience you in incredible ways, Lord. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you as you go. Let me remind you, you go in the name of the one who is I am. God bless you.